Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of the pastors here at The Rock. Amen, amen, amen. Well, I feel like this is the crowd that probably doesn't need this message, but I'm going to preach it by faith, and God's just going to minister to all of us. I always say, you know, if I'm the only one that gets it, I need it. Amen? So I wanted to talk to you tonight, minister to you, about the faithful one, the faithful one. You know, in the Old Testament, God spoke through his prophets. He intervened directly with man. Also, he walked with Adam in the cool of the day and appeared, you know, in a burning bush. And he was, uh, it, w- it, was um, it was the age of the Father. And then Jesus came, and Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father. And he said, have I been so long with you, Philip, and you don't know the Father? When you've seen me you've seen the Father. So then we see the age of the Son. He came to show us the Father and show us how we're to live our lives. And then he said, it's necessary that I go away. Because if I don't go, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the third person of the Trinity won't come. And so he was glorified. He died a cruel death, rose from the dead, received his glorified body, seated at the right hand of the Father, and then the Holy Spirit was poured out upon all flesh on the day of Pentecost. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? So he's been sent forth, and he's been poured out, and he can abide within us and lead us and guide us into all truth. And so I want to talk tonight about the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, the faithful one. Because I've been traveling this road for a while now, It's been 40-something years since I came back to the Lord and really got filled with the Holy Spirit and on fire for God. And the Holy Spirit has been faithful in my life. That's the thing I think that rings in me more than anything is his faithfulness. That when I've been unfaithful, do I hear an amen? He's been faithful still. He's never left me, never forsaken me. There was times I hardened my heart, times I turned my back, times I didn't know if I could move forward, and yet he was faithful, and he was drawing me, and he was continuing to woo me to the heart of the Heavenly Father and doing his perfect work in my life. I want to le- read you a little excerpt from R.A. Torrey's book, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, because I feel like we know God. I mean, you know, God, he created everything. And, you know, Jesus reveals to us God, and, and we've received Jesus as our Lord, but we don't always understand the Holy Spirit and it, who is he and what is he. And he's powerful, but is he like a wind? What does he do? And we need to see that he's the third person of the Trinity. And he's been sent forth to do an amazing work in our lives. And we actually need to give him more free reign. Would you say yes? Would you say amen? So I want to read this to you, and I believe it's going to bless you. If it had not been for the love of God the Father looking down on me in my utter ruin and providing a perfect atonement for me in the death of, my own, of his own son on the cross of Calvary, I would be headed for hell today. If it had not been for the love of Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God, looking upon me in my utter ruin and in obedience to the Father, putting aside all the glory of heaven for all the shame of earth and taking my place, the place of the curse, upon the cross of Calvary, and pouring out his life utterly for me, 
I would be headed for hell today. But what of the love of the Holy Spirit? He was sent by the Father in answer to the prayer of the Son, John 14, 16, leading him to seek me out in my utter blindness and ruin. He followed me day after day, week after week, and year after year, though I persistently turned a deaf ear to his pleadings, following me through my paths of sin, where it must have been agony for that holy one to go, until at last I listened. He opened my eyes to see my utter ruin and then revealed Jesus to me as just the Savior who would meet my every need. And then he enabled me to receive this Jesus as my own Savior. If it had not been for this patient, long-suffering, never-tiring, infinite tender love of the Holy Spirit, I would be headed for hell today. Oh, the Holy Spirit is not merely an influence or a power or an illumination, but a person, just as real as God the Father or Jesus Christ, his Son. Isn't that good? He saw us in our sin. He saw us in, I mean, there's, there's things we won't even share on testimony night. I mean, there's things that we did when we were hardened away from him and we had turned our back on him that he gently continued to woo us to the Father until the day that we surrendered. We know that it's by grace that we're saved. It wasn't even how well you said that prayer. It wasn't even how that you were so good that you walked that aisle. It had nothing to do with you, baby girl, baby boy. It had nothing to do with you, but it had everything to do with the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. Well, he didn't stop. Guess what? He didn't stop. He wanted us when we were ranked sinners. He wanted us when we would have nothing to do with God and used his name as a curse word. He wanted us. Don't you think he wants you now? Don't you think he wants to be faithful in your life now? And yet many times, subtly, we doubt his faithfulness. Many times in our, our yearnings, we say, why, God, why? We don't understand the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we need to regard him as faithful and know that he is on the inside and he is working it out for his good. And he's bringing us to a determined place. And he has an attention for everything that goes on in our lives. And the last chapter has not been written. Are you with me? The last chapter has not been written. And a lot of things are going to make sense when we get to heaven. Are you with me? A lot of things. Well, Webster's divine, defines faithful as steadfast in affection or allegiance, firm in adherence to promises or an observance of duty, given with strong assurance, true to the facts, true to a standard, or to an original. The Holy Spirit is true. He is just. He is right. He is God. Are you with me? I love Hebrews 13, 5. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with all things such as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But what about when we feel like he has? What about when the circumstances seem very dark? That's when we have to use our faith to know that he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
That's when you have to meditate on scriptures like this and let faith rise in your heart and say in the face of whatever the onslaught is, in the face of what the enemy has planned, you, you stare that thing in the face and you say, he is with me. He will never leave me. He's with me and he's with you to cause you to overcome. He's with you to cause you to overcome. Psalm 46.1 says he is a very present help in time of need. A very present help in time of need. Another translation says, in time of trouble. Have you seen some trouble? Well, he's there to help you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is faithful. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos. Thought you should learn some Greek tonight. You can go home and impress your relatives. The word is parakletos, and it means helper, or another translation says comforter. He's here to help us. Aren't you glad? How many need help? I need so much help. It's, you know, as you age, you realize you need help a whole lot more. And so you lean on him a whole lot more. But he's your helper. He's your comforter. Jesus said, it's necessary that I go away. Because if I don't go, he won't come. And so he said that, you know, I've been with you and it's been good. But the Holy Spirit's coming. And he's not going to be just with you. He's going to be in you, and he's going to indwell you forever. Amen? You guys need to shout a little bit more so I can preach better. The only thing that will hinder you, and I'm going to make this point several times as we go along, the only thing that will hinder you from receiving the help of the Holy Spirit is your own unbelief. You know, that's why so many are going to go to hell. It's the sin of unbelief. Because as long as you don't believe in Jesus, then that so sinful nature, it, it binds you. It, it's retained. But when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, and you believe in the shed blood of his sacrifice to cleanse you from sin, then it doesn't matter how bad you were. It doesn't matter what you did. You don't have to show up with a list and go down the list and repent for everything. You're just forgiven. You're just, that sin is eradicated from you. You have a new nature. Aren't you glad? But it's that little thing called unbelief. You just have to believe it. And so many times in the face of feelings, in the face of what seems like a bad day, in the face of calamity or crisis, we have to move past feelings and continue to say, I believe. I've said before, I don't even know why I believe, but I believe. Because he is faithful. Let's look at what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would be faithful to do. Number one, he said he would be faithful to help us forever. Everyone say forever. 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 Should you harden your heart tonight, and I'm not suggesting it, but should you harden your heart tonight and walk away from God, the Holy Spirit won't leave you. He will continue, I call him the holy hound dog, he will continue to nag you. He will continue to try to speak to you in the midnight hour. He will continue to try to woo you and draw you back. Now you can get to a place that your heart is so hard that you just will not yield to his promptings. And that's a scary place to be. And that's why we don't advocate sin around here. We're not one of those churches. I'm sorry. But we preach hard against sin because we know, like the Father knows, what the enemy wants to do to you through sin. 
So we say, hate it, turn from it, repent of it, so you can keep your heart tender. But the Holy Spirit has been called alongside us. He indwells us to help us forever. I love John 14, 16. Jesus said, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. See, he was helping them. It was good while they were walking with him. But he says, he is going to send you another helper, tantamount to me. I've been helping you, and it's been good. You needed taxes. I said, go fishing. There was a storm at sea. I spoke to it. I mean, it's been pretty good these three and a half years. But a better day is coming. And guess what? We get to live in that day. Isn't that incredible? He said, a better day is coming. There's going to be another helper. And he will abide with you forever. Not just till next Tuesday. Not just until you do something really bad. He will abide with you forever. Are you getting this? Everybody say forever. Forever is forever. And ever. And ever. And ever and ever. And if I was Frederick K.C. Price, I'd keep saying that for about three minutes until you started clapping. But it's forever. Infinitesimally long. Forever. He will be with you. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. They're all at a football game right now. They don't even get why you're in church. Why would you want to go to church when you need to see who's going to win, the Chiefs or the 49ers? They don't get it. They want to watch a ball that doesn't even bounce. They want to watch porn at halftime. That's the world, and the God of this world system stirs that up. Now, if you're into sports, there's no condemnation. Go home and figure out what the score is. It's, no, it's not a big deal. But you tonight chose to put him first, and God sees that. God sees that, and you came by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But it says that the world doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he dwells with you. Jesus said, I've been dwelling with you. You know me, right? So if you know me, guess what? You know him. I'm indwelling you, but he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Maybe you never knew your parents. Maybe at times you felt like a total misfit. I, I, there were, one time there was a message in me called, you know, mis, Misfits Unite. Because I think we've all been there. We never quite fit until we made Jesus the Lord of our life. And then we realized, okay, that's why I didn't quite fit in any of those other arenas, because I was called by his name, and I surrendered to his call. He's not left us fatherless. He's not left us as orphans without any protection, without any hope, without any security. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us to strengthen us, to help us forever and ever and ever. Aren't you glad? When you're at your lowest, low, he's there. When we don't deserve it because we've just messed up too bad, he's there. When you act like the worst person, you're self-centered and, and just really a jerk, he's there. And he's there to help you. He said he would never leave you nor forsake you. He's, help you to, he's there to help you make it right if you've blown it. He's there to help you not do it again, to strengthen you so you can learn from that mistake and to grow because he's also your teacher. I love the Amplified, for, uh, John 14, 16, in uh, amplifying what that word parakletos is, the comforter, the helper. 
It says he's also the counselor. He'll give you counsel as to what you should do when it seems that there's no wisdom to be had. He will help you. He's the helper. He'll give you supernatural help when you need it most, and it seems like there's no help anywhere. I remember this one time as a, a, a Bible college student, went back to Bible college, was a little California girl, only knew about California weather, did not know that weather like the Midwest even existed. Tornadoes, are you kidding me? I'm supposed to be in the bathtub with a mattress over my head? Who thought of that? Anyway, but I got back there with a car that was not working. It had uh, rear wheel drive. It was not working in the snow. So I sold it, made about $2,500 on it, and then attempted on my own to find another car that would be a little bit better in the snow, either front wheel drive or all wheel drive. So I began to look. And the other thing was that the car I went back there was, was a Volvo, and in the early 80s, they didn't know what a Volvo was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They go, what's this here? A Swedish thing? What's this here? Is this German? What? Look at this engine. I've never seen one like this. You know? So I knew I was in trouble. And when I tried to drive on the ice, I knew I was really in trouble. So I sold it. Made about $2,500. But then I attempted to buy another used car on my own. And so, and I'd maybe have a girlfriend go with me, but nobody that knew anything. So I went through three lemon cars, three lemon cars. I won't tell you all the details. It'll take way too long. But I went through three lemon cars, and at the end of it had a, had a car that actually had been owned by, it had been a highway patrol car, and I didn't realize till after I bought it, there was the, the places where screws had, had uh, kept the rifle up here on it, and it had been painted kind of beige, but I didn't know till after I had it that it actually had been a highway patrol car. So I had this now third lemon car plus about $700. That's what it had dwindled down to. And nobody to help me find a car. And see, back in California, I was daddy's girl. He always helped me, and he was a garage mechanic amongst other things. You know, that, uh, the babe, you know, the, uh, World War II generation, Korean War generation, those men knew how to do everything. Yeah, I thought that all men, it just was encoded in your DNA, knew how to do everything. But anyway, I learned. But so, so I didn't have my daddy, and I didn't have only guys that were interested in dating me wanted to go look for a car, but I didn't want to take them up on that. So long story short, I cried out to God one night, and I said, this has been months I need a decent car. I need to be able to get to school and to work. And this is, you know, this has gotten so old, Father. I just desperately need your help. And so the next morning I woke up, and there had been an elderly gentleman at our church that had said he would come and help me buy a car, pick out a car. And so I called him. He said he couldn't come after all. And so I just said, okay, Holy Spirit, it's me and you. So he said, just go to breakfast, daughter. Well, I didn't eat out much in those days because I was a starving college student making a whole lot less than what I'd made in California. But I just went to, I don't know, IHOP or somewhere. I went for breakfast, and I got a little newspaper as I walked in to, to sit down and have my breakfast, opened the ad, opened the ads, and looked down, and on the inside, I knew that was my car. It was a little, I don't know, 1977, I think, Chevette, Chevy Chevette. 
It was my, that was my car. I just knew that was my car. And it was just down the street. And it was just like, I felt like it was in this Holy Ghost bubble. And he was just seriously helping me because I had cried out. I was at a point of desperation. And so I went down the street, walked in. They gave me $1,000 trade-in for this beater highway patrol car. And the money I had, and I borrowed a little bit extra from my, the credit union I had at that time. And I drove off with this, like new, it had been, seriously, it had been owned like by a little old lady that never drove it. It had like 14,000 miles on it, something incredible like that. And I drove off. Oh, and before I left, they changed out the radio to make sure it had a cassette tape player because I had to play my tapes. You know, back then we had to play our cassette tapes of all our messages. Anyway, I'm spending way too long with this. But the Holy Spirit helped me. And I had that car for years. I had that car when Mike and I married in 1984 and still drove it another couple years after that. It answered all my needs at the time. And because it had front-wheel drive, it drove on the snow real easy and had low gas. And it was perfect for me at the time that I was a college student living in the Midwest trying to overcome weather and everything else. So that's just one little example of how the Holy Spirit can supernaturally help you at a point of need. Are you with me? He's our intercessor. He will intercede on your behalf to go before you, making a way where there seems to be no way. He'll be your advocate. He'll go to bat for you and promote you. You don't have to fight your own battles. He'll give you favor with God and man. He will be your promoter, your advocate. He will strengthen you. He'll be your strengthener. That's another definition. He'll provide supernatural strength when you're at your weakest point. He will strengthen you supernaturally. I can attest to this. The older I get, the more I appreciate the way he will strengthen you supernaturally, and it will even affect your physical body. Yes, it will even infuse inner strength into your physical body, and he's your standby. He patiently stands by until you call on him, and that's something that a lot of people don't understand about the Holy Spirit. He's not going to do it for you. He will stand by patiently and wait until you call on his help. And when you do in a nanosecond, he is there because guess what? He's already on the inside of you waiting for you to call on his help. Are you good? So number two, he will faithfully teach us all things. Everyone say all things. All things that pertain to life and to godliness, not just spiritual things and not just understanding the word, although that's huge if that was all he did. But he will teach you all things. Even if you're having to get a secular education, he'll help you take that test. He'll help you study and know what you, where you need to put the emphasis on your study to be able to regurgitate on that test. He will help you. He is the spirit of truth. He will lead us and guide us into all truth, and he will tell us things to come. That's John 16, 13. I love John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. He'll teach you all things. All things means all. He's going to show you how to do work better in the workplace, how to have wisdom in what you're doing in, in just in your secular job. He will help you to do it better. He'll reveal to you secrets as a parent. He'll show you how this child is not the same as the other child. 
And what worked with that child is not going to work with this child. He will give you insights even how to parent better. And he'll teach you the word of God. Many times we get into the word and at first it's like, oh, this, this seems so hard to understand. And yet as we say, Holy Spirit, you're my teacher. Teach me what this is saying. The Bible says he leads you to, from one scripture to another, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And then you begin to have understanding and light comes. And the thing I love about the word of God is that within the very words themselves is released the power to do it. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? The Holy, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would also bring the word of God to our minds. And this is where, I just love this about the Holy Spirit, that he does this. Because this is where you get the power to overcome sin. Anybody want to overcome? Oh, you don't have to raise your hands. Except I want to overcome sin. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But we need to overcome areas that are unlovely, that still stand out so loudly in our lives, that are less than godly, less than beautiful, less than bringing glory to the Lord Jesus. And when we go to the Word of God and we study it and we allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to our remembrance, bring it to our minds when we need it, there will be the power that we need to overcome that thing. Are you with me? The Word of God gives you so much strength. I love Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the Word that God speaks is alive and full of power. This is in the Amplified Version. The Word that God speaks is alive and full of power. Listen to this. Making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. The Word of God will be effective in your life. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of joints and marrow, and of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit bust you on your motives? You know, you thought you were looking really good, and everyone was giving you a lot of accolades, and then you walk away from that place, and on the inside... The Holy Spirit says, well, you think you're something, don't you? You're like, hey, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. No. But he will bust you on wrong motives that no one sees, no one knows. We can look so good on the outside. But he is the spirit of truth, and he will lead us and guide us into all truth. And when we submit those wrong motives to him, when we submit those things that are unlovely to him, then he turns it, works it for good, brings strength in that area, and causes us to overcome. Amen? I love 1 John 4, 4. It says, for you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Don't you love that verse? He that is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world. I remember in the early 70s, I was a student. I, I was single for a long time. I didn't get married until my early 30s, so I got a lot of single stories. But in the early 70s, I was attending Pepperdine, and I was the last class on the L.A. campus, three miles west of Watts. And there had been a whole lot of rioting going on in the late 60s. Now we're in the early 70s. But things still aren't all that great. 
So I'm Susie White, middle class, basically living in the ghetto. And I had been raised in a pretty much all-white community, a little suburb in the Bay Area. And, uh, but at the time, because I was a social, uh, social service major, I thought that was really cool that I was going to go to the ghetto to study. Uh, anyway, it was just a weird mentality back then. But I, had come, I came back to the Lord, got filled with the Spirit, and was now attending Fred Price's church and getting the Word of God and growing. It was great. But I was working... I was living in an apartment complex um, right across from uh, where I was working. I was working for the United Cerebral Palsy Spastic Children's Foundation. I was the volunteer coordinator. So I'm living there, and with it came, we had a stipend for housing if we wanted to live in the apartments right across the street that was also housing for the um, adults with special needs. So I had an apartment there with a girl that I was going to school with. But I came home late at night from a Bible study, of course, a Bible study. And I drove up uh, uh, to walk to my apartment. I drove up to the street and, and parked, stopped there. And right in front of the entrance where I needed to walk in, it was a courtyard style. All the apartments kind of faced the inner courtyard. Right at the entrance was a whole group of Crips. And I knew them because a lot of them worked at the Spastic Children's Foundation. Some of them worked there in the, in the dorms with the, um, with the adults. These were actually the kitchen crypts. So I drove up, and they were all standing around. And they had their dogs and everything. And, you know, these aren't the friendly kind of dogs, the kind that you fluff up and sleep with. Well, some people do, I guess. But anyway, uh, so I drove up, and fear gripped me because I was going to have to walk directly through them to get to my apartment. So I sat there, and I prayed in the Spirit for a few moments, and the peace of God just came upon me and an overwhelming strength to be bold and just to walk into my apartment. So I got out of the car, and I walked up to them, and they all turned to me, hey, sister. You know, now this, you know, I was in my early 20s, so, you know, this is imaginable. But anyway, they were like, hey, sister. And I said, Jesus loves you. And they all literally jumped back. I went, that's cool, that's cool. You know, and I walked right through the middle and on into my apartment and sat down with my roommate and went, what just happened? You know, it hit me later. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I love Philippians 4.13 in the Amplified. It says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. So he infuses inner strength into you. You can resist that spirit of fear. In the midst of fear, you can have boldness. You can speak forth the word of God. You can act boldly on what the Holy Spirit tells you to do because he will infuse inner strength into you. Aren't you glad? But we have to let him. And we have to invite him. So in looking at the power of the word of God that we need in our life, Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And that's where I see so many Christians um, having challenges in their lives and many times, you know, um, hardening their hearts or turning away from God or experiencing what seems like real crisis or calamity with no redemptive element coming into the, the, the situation because of a lack of knowledge. 
And as I said a minute ago, the, one of the greatest things that the Holy Spirit does for us faithfully is that he will bring the word of God to our minds right when we need it to strengthen us. But our part, our responsibility is we have to put the word of God in us for him to have something to bring to our minds. Do you get it? So there's still, there's always our part. We have to take responsibility. And we can't just moan, why God, why, and this and that. We have to stop and say, Holy Spirit, you're faithful. So I know you were trying to help me. If I didn't hear your word, I'm so sorry. Now I'm going to get into your word, and I'm going to meditate on it, and I'm going to put it in my heart, and I'm going to put it in my mind so that in that dark hour, you can do your job and bring it to my remembrance and cause me to overcome in this situation. There's nothing wrong with, with having a setback. There's nothing wrong with, with having what seems like a faith failure. If we'll get before God, if we'll get before the Holy Spirit, if we'll let him teach us all things and come through a wiser person, a stronger person, able to overcome the next time the enemy should try to bring a similar thing around. Are you with me? Hallelujah. I love Joshua 1.8. It says, this book of the law, the word of God, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do. There's where your imagination comes in. According to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Well, God, why aren't I being prosperous? Well, God, why aren't I being successful? He says, you'll make your way prosperous. You'll make your way successful. If you will spend time meditating in the Word of God. Now, that's not sitting there going, um. No, that's getting into the Word of God, reading it. Another scripture says to study. We've all been called, not just ministry gifts, to study the Word of God, to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman, that we can work the Word. We, we know how to rightly divide the Word of God. And we're not caught up in deception as many Christians, seemingly Christians are. We need to know the Word of God. So as we read it and we go to scriptures that the Holy Spirit shows us that pertain to that area that we're, we're needing wisdom in, then we read it and we begin to speak it out of our own mouths. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you're going to get it the most when you hear it out of your own mouth. Are you with me? Sorry I'm pointing at you so much tonight. There's the three fingers pointing back at me, so don't worry. But as you meditate on it and you begin to speak it out of your own mouth in the face of danger, in the face of fear, in the face of seeming calamity or, or disease or a catastrophe, whatever is going on, whatever the enemy has planned over your life or your loved ones, you begin to say what God says about that situation. Then faith rises in your heart. And the Holy Spirit anoints the word of God and God sends it forth and it doesn't return to him void, but it accomplishes that which you send it forth with your own mouth to do. Are you with me? But we have to get it in our hearts. And then the last thing that I love that the Holy Spirit does, that he's so faithful at doing, and you may be surprised by this, but he's faithful to convict us of sin. And I so appreciate that about him. He doesn't want sin to have free reign in your life. Because as I said earlier, it will harden your heart and cause you to turn from your fellowship with him. And see, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're one. 
And he wooed over you, as I read at the beginning. He wooed over you all those years, went into those horrible places to, to draw you out and to draw you to the Father. He heard every cry, every tear you shed, and he saved it up. He's saving it up, all those tears. And we'll be able to, I'm sure, pour it at his feet and anoint him and thank him for being so faithful in our lives. But he's faithful to convict us of sin, not to condemn us. That's the enemy. The enemy condemns you. First, he tempts you to do it. And then once you yield and do it, then he condemns you for doing it. He's just a bad guy. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we can't say, oh, there's no condemnation, and I can do whatever I want. No, 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 no. You, you start doing that, and you'll stay at a very baby Christian level. Maybe you'll get in that heaven by the hair on your chinny, chin, chin. No, I, that's wrong theology. But anyway, the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin so that you can get it out of the way. He doesn't want your heart hard. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I make known to you, that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's the one that exalts Jesus in our lives and even gave us that ability to receive Jesus, but he wants to deal with sin in our life so that we can confess it and repent of it and get it out of the way and actually grow and overcome sin. Now, I grew up in a little denominational church that nobody overcame. It was just like, this is, this is how I am. It's kind of everybody had their pet sins. And so this concept, when I began to really walk closely with God and get into the Word, this concept that we could actually overcome sin, and we should be able to look back a few weeks, a few months, a few years, and see growth and change in our life, that was, that was a new concept. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but the reason that God wants you to overcome and let habits that, that, are, that are, hold you in bondage and things that have control over you, the reason he wants you to let those things go and let him give you victory over those things is so that you're free to fully serve him. There's nothing that controls you. No box of chocolate, no little pack of cigarettes, no needle in your arm. There's nothing that has you but only him. And then you're totally free. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. In the Passion Bible, it says, but if we freely admit our sins, when his light uncovers them, we will be faith he will be faithful to forgive us every time. He's faithful. God is just to forgive us our sins because of Christ, and he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The commentary of the Passion Bible right there says, if we do but one thing, confess our sin, God will do four things. One, he'll demonstrate his faithful love. Two, he'll demonstrate justice by counting our sins paid for by Christ. Three, forgive us every sin. And four, listen to this, continue a deeper work of cleansing from all aspects of sin's defilement. Some of us have overcome quite a bit. We're the church of the exes. We're all ex everything. Some of us have overcome quite a bit. But there's still the residue of that sin that keeps us at a low place. 
that keeps us with a wrong self-image. There's a residue. There's the shame that came with it. That we're, we're delivered from it. We don't do that thing anymore. But we still see ourselves as the person that did it. You know, years ago, we, we, about four years ago, we moved into a new house. And a few, uh, about a year later, well, no, almost immediately, we got a, a big fence up. A vinyl, a beige vinyl fence that went all the way around our half acre. And having a little birthday party with one of the kids, we put balloons and little signs on the fence. It said, you know, enter here. And we had the gate open and all that kind of stuff. And we cleaned up the party balloons and we cleaned up the signs. We took them off the, the fence, but we never scraped the tape off. And so the outer layer of that tape, through sun and weather, it all wore off. But now there's a residue on the fence. And it bugs me because it's kind of marred. There's a residue there. that I'm going to have to find some kind of solvent and get it off. It's going to take some work. But that's what God wants to set us free from, is that residue of sin, that shame that came with it. You know, I love the Apostle Paul. First, he was Saul, the terrorist. Do you realize that? The people that stoned Stephen the first martyr, the people that stoned Stephen laid their clothing at Saul's feet. And he was on that road to Damascus on his way to take, to, to get letters that he could bind up more people. And it says he was murdering men and women. He was a murderer. He was a terrorist. He was a religious radical zealot. But on that road to Damascus, he got saved. He came to the Lord. A few days later, he received his sight and the Holy Spirit. He went on to become the great Apostle Paul, writing over two-thirds of the New Testament. And it's interesting. He learned so much who he is that in 2 Corinthians 7, 2, he said, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. Wait a minute. You killed people. Are you kidding me? You can say that. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. He had been a murderer. And yet, that was the old man. He was now a new creation in Christ Jesus. And to further indelibly print it on his heart, God gave him the name Paul. Some of us had an old name. Maybe that name was lazy. Maybe that name was no good. Maybe that name was... was uh, prostitute. Maybe that name was drug addict. And God's delivered us from those things. But we haven't let him give us a new name yet. For lazy, he wants to make you diligent. For prostitute, he wants to make you pure. For hateful, he wants to make you loving. He wants to set you free even from the very residue of the sin that maybe had you in bondage for so long. I praise God for the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, but then to forgive us. He says he remembers our sin no more. You might try to remind him, but he said, I'll remember it no more. I'll deliver it from you as far as the east is from the west. That's 180 degrees opposite. Now you need to forgive yourself. You need to let it go. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to be faithful to you in that area.
to overcome. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.